0: Welcome to the Sacred Feminine Power podcast, where we explore the many facets of feminine power and why it is so important for women and for men to step into this power in our world at this time. This is Emmy from Feminine Revered, and my beautiful guest for today is Katie Kamala-Haley. Katie has been working in the healing arts profession for 25 years as an integrative therapist, herbalist, and yoga studio owner. She has a passion for culture, travel, and exploring spirituality. Katie is also the author of A Diamond for India, Myths, Magic, and Medicine, and is currently writing a book about her 11-year journey with the plant medicine ayahuasca. She lived in Peru in 2015 to study the indigenous culture of the Amazon jungle and the Andes mountains and considers herself an expert in the plant spirit medicine ayahuasca from participating in over hundred shamanic ceremonies. Currently, Katie is living in Florida and developing a nonprofit called the Pineapple Peace Garden that promotes food sovereignty and inner peace through nature. Welcome, Katie.
1: Thank you for having me, Emmy.
0: It's a blessing to have you with us, Katie. And I am so, so excited to be learning from you today.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: Thank you. Now, since my podcast is called Sacred Feminine Power, I always like to start by asking my guests, what does Sacred Feminine Power mean to you personally?
1: Sacred Feminine Power to me means having a connection to the Great Mother, which is the Earth. Um, I also feel like it's about being nourishing yet powerful I've been thinking about this a great deal lately because a woman is too, who is too yielding, you know, can be a doormat, a a people pleaser, but yet women that have too much power that they aren't channeling properly can also become very tyrannical, which is a, a masculine trait. So to me, the sacred feminine power is to have that balance that you can know when to yield your power, but you can also know when to be nurturing.
0: Mm, I love that. That that is actually a a notion that hasn't really been talked about much on this podcast before, especially in terms of women having too much power and becoming tyrannical. I'm curious as to what what brought you to to this particular definition of sacred feminine power.
1: Well, I feel like we're not... Taught conflict, um, conflict resolution, and it's something I've been working on many years as a, a therapist with my, you know, myself, and going through a lot of therapy, and also working with other people. That, uh, you know, equality with women a lot of times with um, feminism, you know, there's the, there's the dark side to that too, to go overboard. And that's what turns some people off towards the movement or men. Oh, she's a feminist, but it's, it's a beautiful thing to go for equality. But I've I've seen here, especially in America and in politics, some women that have went really over to, uh, a, a dark place with, with their power and how they're yielding their power. So having the sacred feminine power is to have the wisdom. It's not just having power to uh, assert your uh, your beliefs or your rights, but it's it's having the wisdom. So that's that's, I think, the key there is to know how to use power. So to me, really, that's what sacred feminine power is, is the right use of your power, cultivating your power and the right use of it. Hmm.
0: I love that. And I have a feeling we're going to go a little bit deeper into this topic a little bit later on as well. But before we do that, uh, I would love to hear from you, Katie, a challenge that you faced in your life. That's really helped you to activate sacred feminine power within you and on your life's path. I would say the
1: biggest challenge that I had was the relationship with my own mother and, you know, looking at your subjects and with your, what you're doing and talking about the mother wound and the sister wound and, uh, these different things. And the mother relationship any um, also have the same, you know, issue with, with their mother. So the idea of having, um, a spiritual mother, the great mother or Gaia, the Earth, has been very appealing because the other aspect of that was growing up very religious in the patriarchy, growing up Catholic, and um, not seeing the feminine sacred aspect of of God, and then also having um, a mother who I didn't didn't feel understood me or could be rather abusive. So I didn't I didn't have that. So the the seeking out of the feminine nature of God has been uh, um, the blessing maybe that's come out of the the challenge with uh, my my own mother and not maybe having a role model in in that sense.
0: Mm. Thank you for sharing about that, uh, Katie. And how would you say, having come across and and I guess formed a relationship with the feminine? nature of God as well. How, how is that serving you now? And how, how is it interwoven into the work that you do?
1: How I really discovered that was my first trip to India, which I think now has been about 12 years ago, and seeing a culture that revered the goddess. Because, you know, growing up in America, you see, what were the goddesses? Someone in Hollywood, or oh, Marilyn Monroe is a goddess, or you know, someone with sex appeal is a goddess. But to see the true meaning of of goddess, and of course, in the beginning, it was a little strange because they like said growing up, um, Catholic, and then going to some Christian churches, like it was sacrilegious to see a woman as as God. But then, when you see and study the the goddesses, they all have a male consort, which is. The God who is equally powerful, but then the deeper understanding is what that really is is a reflection of nature, the masculine and the feminine together as nature. And I thought that was interesting to see the goddess, and the goddess was God in different forms and different uh, different attributes. So you have Lakshmi, which is representing you know prosperity and abundance, and then you have Saraswati, who is the arts and knowledge. And then you see Kali, who is also the, uh, where people are uh, f- the fierce. She's the, f- the fierce goddess, but she has her role um, as well, chopping off the head of the ego. So seeing um, the, f- the female spirituality reflected through the goddesses of India was a very much of an opening for me of what the sacred feminine power is.
0: Mm, I can imagine absolutely, and and how do you now in your work and in your everyday life as well? How do you bring in this power of the goddess and this feminine face of the god?
1: For me, the the practices uh, from yoga. So I started doing yoga in my twenties, just like most people, though, just for you know stretching and. Um, Looking at more as, as maybe an exercise and, and relaxation, and then going deeper into the whole philosophy of yoga, and seeing that it 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 at its um, core is the cosmology of nature and masculine and feminine being balanced. So that is really what I what I work with to be um, be balanced in the right brain and the left brain in my my compassion, but yet also my um, strength. And so yoga has helped me a great deal, uh, the, the deeper meanings of yoga. And then the farther you get into it, you still have the asanas for your physical health. But I think I've gotten deeper into the philosophy and and incorporating that
0: into the way I view the world. Mm, beautiful. And, and that balance between the feminine and the masculine is certainly something that is coming through in, in so many of my interviews. And I would imagine that in the current context that we're faced with globally coming more and more to that balance is, I would say at this point, absolutely crucial to the survival of our planet. Would you agree?
1: It's crucial. Hmm. It it is. And, and people being so confused over, um, the masculine and the feminine, and and not really knowing, you know who who they are, and a, a lot of that is obviously not not in place of our our talk today. But I always just try to look for nature for truth because the plants aren't confused; <laughs> they know <laughs> production and you know keeping the the species alive and moving forward. There's no confusion, and I feel. The, the farther we get away from nature, the more confused we are. I'll, I'll leave it at that.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I love the way you just put it very straight. Plants are not confused. <laughs> I love that. And since we are now on the topic of plants, Katie, I would love for you to speak more to the plant medicine of ayahuasca. And I, I know you refer to her as, as mother ayahuasca. Is, is that correct? That's correct.
1: And that's what the indigenous cultures, she is a feminine deity or a feminine spirit. She's actually the spirit of the snake, which is Mm. the, I guess when you look, I've, I've never seen the aerial view in Peru, but when you look at the Amazon river, it's shaped like a shaped like a snake and she's a snake, a snake energy. And that was also very interesting for me because of growing up so religious with the snake being the evil you know, mm-hmm. in Christianity and Catholicism, you know, the snake is the evil one. And well, so is Eve. <laughs> so to work through all of this with the snake being a symbol of a healing is, is something very different to uh, what our Western mind is. And they also, some people refer to it as a grandmother because we think of the grandmother as the, the nurturing wise um, feminine spirit. So that's in a, in, in their culture with, um, but also representation of, of just of Gaia, Mother Earth in general, but she comes as a, as a snake.
0: Mm -hmm. Beautiful. And what has Mother Ayahuasca brought to you in your life? How, how has she transformed you and your life's journey? Wow. Well,
1: it's a big question. The, I started out as many people just curious. I had one of my first yoga teachers actually married a shaman um, from South America and they are living We're living in Miami. And I, I went as a curiosity because I had heard about the medicine, but I always thought I would have to travel to Peru to try it where I actually got to try it in my own backyard of uh, Winter Park, Florida. And it was just a beautiful experience. And I never thought it would be this long j- journey with it, but it kept opening up uh, new doorways. And it's, it's been really, like all healing, it's been difficult. There's a lot of um, challenges, a lot of hills, a lot of valleys. But my learning of where I'm at now, I don't think I could have gotten here without it. It's it's an expansion of consciousness. But the more you work on yourself, the, the deeper it gets, like all forms of healing. And some of the listeners... I'm sure well, some will be interested in the ayahuasca and some will think, oh, I would never take that or try that. But the lessons are there for everyone because I believe you can get to these levels of healing through many other modalities. It doesn't have to be ayahuasca.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious to know what it was that drew you to ayahuasca then. Was it through that um, through the friendship itself or was were you looking for a specific kind of a healing in your life at that point?
1: You know, I've been on the healing quest and I would call it the journey of the wounded healer Mm. and everything I obtained for myself, I really um, work to impart that to to help other people and to, to see things deeper. You know, unless you have felt great amounts of pain in your life, you can't relate to people that have had pain or you have to go deep into the healing process yourself, or I don't believe you can help facilitate other people. So I, you know, I had a lot of uh, deep healing that I needed. And as I learned more, it was the catalyst for a lot of changes of deep seated negative behaviors I had towards myself. So a, a deep healing of myself. And I, the, the further I got along, the the more I saw that I needed healing in other ways you know, care uh the, the shamans that I, I work with, they always talk about it's like the peeling of an onion. So you just go deeper and deeper and, and deeper into your understanding. And I think like anything, the more you learn, the more capacity that you have to, to understand, you know, we start out like anything being a novice to something and then the longer that we're in it we we gain more mastery of ourselves and our knowledge it cannot come all at once so it's taken many many years to um, for me to understand things about myself and about the world the way that I do now Hmm.
0: and from my understanding I I have not tried ayahuasca myself I've I've done work with sacred mushrooms myself but not yet with ayahuasca and it's something that I'm very drawn to trying at some point in my life when the time is right Uh, how does how does the the sacred plant of ayahuasca how does it help you to expand your consciousness could you expand a little bit more on how it actually works and and supports one to do that
1: yes I i believe now in all these years that what the ayahuasca medicine which it's two plants that are uh, cooked together usually in a ritualistic way by by a shaman. Um, the ayahuasca is a vine and the charcuna plant which is a leaf. So mm-hmm. when these are together what they do produce is uh, the, the charcuna has the DMT which gives you the visionary experience and the ayahuasca has the MAo inhibitors, because if you took the charcuna, your stomach would neutralize it. So what happens is together, uh, and it's interesting in nature that the the plants and the, told the shamans, I mean, you think of all the plants in the Amazon jungle, that these two mixed together would, would uh, result in this type of visionary experience. And there's so much information on it, um, the cosmic serpent, which is, a wonderful uh, Jeremy Narby. That's a wonderful book I recommend because this talks about the scientist who went to the Amazon jungle. I want to say it's in the 60s or 70s and was documenting all this. So those types of information are, are really interesting. You can really take a deep dive to discover what the the plant is exactly and how they used it indigenously. But for um, for us here more in the modern world, ayahuasca has been coming out of the jungle. And I believe that intention is to uh, help people understand just what you were saying about how right now we're at a crucial time in society, especially with nature being destroyed and the Amazon being destroyed and that we need to wake up and we need to you know, do something uh, about it. So um, many times when you take this plant, I, I believe the plant is a portal. And it opens up a doorway. Whereas the shaman of the experience is like the captain of a ship, but instead of you know guiding you over rough rough waters, say on an ocean voyage, it's uh, guiding you through the astral planes of consciousness. And you have to really be taking the medicine with someone that you trust and someone that holds that sacred container, because it really is about the ceremony. Um, on my journeys in Peru. I took the medicine with several different shamans and had quite different experiences from the ones I have with my shaman uh, that I take the medicine with on a regular basis. So it, it, it matters the, the, the container that they're holding and also the location. There's a lot of factors. And nowadays you have to really be careful because there are so many people that have got their hands on the medicine and they're offering it in a not safe way.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And 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 that that was my next question actually. About um, I, I read quite a bit about how the medicine is is being abused at the moment and used in a in a way that is not ceremonial and sacred anymore. What, what is your take on that?
1: Well, when I went, you know, I'd always wanted to go to Peru and see Machu Picchu. I mean, when I was in my 20s, and it took many years till I finally got there, and I was destined to t- take a journey there, but Originally, it wasn't even about the ayahuasca. So I I got to go there as uh, um, an artist residency in the eco-artist colony in the jungle that's run by a, a British woman who's an artist. And they have, you know, people come from all over the world. And when I went there, I was there, you know, for writing. And then I met these very cool artists from all over. But of course, everyone was so interested in ayahuasca. And at the time, I had been, you know, Taking it for maybe five years. And we had a lot of talks. And I just saw the spiritual hunger so many people had, and they were going to ayahuasca to fill it because the religion of their youth or growing up, or maybe they had no religion, and they had felt it had failed them in some way. And they were all looking for answers and looking to take the medicine. And I I found it really interesting that people weren't there just to, you know, they weren't there for, oh, let's get high. This is some kind of party. People were in need of deep healing. And that made me very curious to ask people about their stories. And, and there's a lot of um, unscrupulous things in Peru too. So when I see people want to go to an I oh, I want to do a traditional one. So I want to go in the jungle and they have no idea what they're, <laughs> what they're getting into and how difficult uh, things in the jungle. I stayed there three months, and just the amount of mosquito bites and the different things that can happen to you when you're when you're there. And um, it's it's it can be it can be danger it can be dangerous. People have to be careful. Um, so when I went there, I I wasn't I wasn't looking for taking the medicine, but everybody in Peru, you can't turn a corner and not find it. And people wanting to connect and people wanting to, you know, be in a ceremonial space.
0: So did I lose track of the original question? That's okay. I was just referring to the, to the um, seeming, use of the medicine for purposes that are not ceremonial and sacred.
1: Yeah. And being, and being abused. Yeah. I heard some stories too, that, you know, even shamans, because you think of why, why does um, a lot of the land get, uh, get, why is the rainforest being cut down? Why are people doing some of the things they're doing in all countries around the world is out of desperation for um, financial means. So the people that don't have money when they've seen the, the boom and the ayahuasca tourism, a lot of people that live there that aren't trained even, you know, even there to set up these retreats and, you know, they see foreigners coming in and making this money, which isn't, isn't right either. And so I've had stories. I had, there was a young artist from New York and he was so, uh, such on a quest, and boy, he told me a lot of uh, a lot of bad things that happened to him within his his journey, and things that were going on um, because people uh, people need the money, and so you know they're they're doing different things to try to get that, and using ayahuasca as a uh, allure to get people to come to maybe their their retreat or their their home and to take for people to take the medicine
0: with them. Mm. So you really need to be careful and discerning in terms of who you go into this sacred space with and the intentions that we go into that sacred space with.
1: Absolutely. And and a lot of research, not just from the internet, but from people who've been there and people who you can have a, a, a true, um, trust with that you you trust their, their experience where they tell you that is safe. Um, But you know, even with that, uh, you do have to let your internal um, guidance system guide you to the right
0: place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So trusting your inner knowing your intuition and feeling absolutely safe with the person who's going to be guiding you and holding that sacred space for you. Exactly. Mm, beautiful. Would you be happy to share with us your, your most powerful experience using mother ayahuasca?
1: Oh yes. Thank you. I would. So in the practice of yoga, one of the, um, one of the, I'll say the benefits or the culmination of, it used to be many, many years of yoga practice that you would have a Kundalini awakening. So I would read about it. And I really never thought it would happen to me because again, thinking, Oh, who, you know, who am I? I'm not like some great yogi. I'm just, you know, I'm a regular, just regular woman doing yoga, being on my path. But um, I experienced a kundalini awakening. Then, after it happened to me, I read so many uh, articles about people that were were having these awakenings, and what the kundalini energy is, if some people don't know. And this will this is the parallel between the yoga and the ayahuasca is the kundalini is also represented as a snake that mm-hmm. sits at the, the serpent at the um, bottom of the spine, okay, at your sacrum, which is interesting, because the sacrum, the bone sacrum from the words sacred. So that's the sacred energy sitting in the sacrum of the body. And when it's awakened, the energy travels up the spine to the brain igniting, um, igniting the powerful energy. So just imagine, you know, they this like electric electricity that's been dormant and somehow the switch gets turned on to um, travel throughout your whole body and really change you as a person. So uh, I think the Kundalini, you know, it started a while I had before the ayahuasca, because I'd been going to some Buddhist retreats where you do like the 10-day initiation, the vipassana, where you don't speak for 10 days. And I had some things happening to me at that. And and now I look back and that was the beginning of the energy waking up. But the Kundalini energy happened through uh the, the awakening through an ayahuasca, and it was it was five hours of like full body orgasms. Hmm. And I've, I've that's crazy, like how that could happen. And it, it really was, but it was, it was bliss. And I, I don't have any children of my own, but I, it was the closest I could think of like to giving birth, but without any physical pain and this feeling of ways of bliss throughout the body. So that was the most powerful experience I'd had. But then on the other side of that was uh, a very deep and um, uh, difficult year of healing that came after that energy was, awakened. And that is why with the ayahuasca, people need to, if they take it, you need to have some kind of spiritual support system and a spiritual practice. And I say to people, just you know, pick one, whether that's something in nature or if it's, you know, yoga or Buddhism or it could be Christianity, it could be whatever you're drawn to, but something that can help ground you, that you have a a lifestyle that's going to support this healing work, you know, your diet and your exercise, and the the way you're treating yourself and your your habits, your addictions, and try to find some sort of grounding because when these deep, profound things happen, you have to have support and you have to have a uh, something to anchor you into this this earth realm.
0: Mm, absolutely. That's, that's very powerful, Katie. Thank you for that. If um, I'm called to ask you at this point, if, if our listeners were, were drawn to, to finding out more about you or working with you, Katie, where would they find you?
1: Well, my website is katiekamalawellness.com.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And people can contact me. Feel free at at the website. I've got my my number there and my email address.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. Um, And I would love to hear more about also the the project that you are now putting together, the Pineapple Peace Garden. What what is this all about and how, how did you birth it?
1: Oh, well, thank you. So during the pandemic, as many people's lives have changed drastically. I was living in South Florida. I had my yoga studio, um, and and I was, uh, you know, had a good a good business. I was enjoying what I was doing, but I had been doing body work and healing and therapy for twenty years, and I, I guess I really was um, coming to a burnout stage. So when my business was shut down for. Three months or so, I just decided I needed a change. I said, "I'm not going to renew my lease. I'm not going to keep up this hectic lifestyle. My cost of living was so much, and I decided to move back to Central Florida where my family was. And one of um, and I one of my dreams I had had was to have a big like permaculture garden, but I had a very hard time trying to find land. So my parents had a a decent sized property, and they had you know, they had a house there, but they had nothing in the the backyard. It was just grass. And I decided to start this big project, planting fruit trees and um, getting into um, rain barrels and some solar and learning different things that I'd been studying for years and wanting to grow my own organic fruits and vegetables. So it, it started um, here. So afterwards, I, I moved here in August and then I started working on all this and I decided to build the little tiny house on my parents' property for me, like a garden cottage for me to live and manage all these the gardens. And I realized it was just being outside. I felt so happy and working with the plants and how much peace that I was finding from it. And I decided um, that I wanted to open up my Property to have people come in and do classes and really learn about this in my little cottage to be uh, a center of healing. I could do some different types of healing work and some sound healing and meditation and um, so some different things that I've, I've I've learned and and the feeling of peace and I I would like my intention is that everyone can start to grow some of their own food, whether it's herb garden, I have some microgreens growing that you can grow these things in your apartment. I lived in apartments for 10 years, and I always had plants growing on the balcony. And uh, I feel like we need to start taking more of a uh, an interest in that. And then if you have more space to grow food, and also to create using the, the plants Um, the symbiotic relationship with plants and beauty and having a sacred space where you can just sit there. It doesn't have to be formal meditation. It can just be a quiet place to go, to let go, to clear your thoughts and the idea of creating some sort of a garden atmosphere and, and doing your
0: best to cultivate some sort of food for yourself. Mm -hmm. That sounds absolutely beautiful, Katie. And I think, these kinds of initiatives are becoming more and more critical as we look at the amount of um, um, gmo uh, dominated farmland and we look at the amount of glyphosate that's being found in produce and we also look at a person like bill gates being the largest private owner of farmland in the states at the moment and that really starts to hopefully ring alarm bells in a lot of people and really prompt them to start their own gardens and start to grow their own micro food and, and, and so on. So what you're doing is very inspiring and very beautiful, Katie.
1: Oh, well, thank you. Well, you know, my, uh, my hero or shiro is um, Vendana Shiva. And I read her book now, Oneness Versus 1%, where she's basically taking on um, Bill Gates, I mean, she's the one that was responsible and, and what she did to help get Monsanto out of India. And she's a amazing woman, if people don't know who she is, to uh, look her up. And I, I've known about her for years. And then she came back into my radar with all of this, and what's happening with the food systems. And I've been doing a lot of research, for example, Puerto Rico, which you know mm-hmm. is a American territory, but a, you know, island in the the, the Caribbean. And I watched a a really good video of this young woman who was talking about the food sovereignty movement that's happening there, because here's an island that can grow anything. I mean, it's an amazingly fertile island and 85% of their food is imported from other Mm. places. So young people are wanting to grow food or there's been a big crisis in some other small countries that they don't have, uh, even though they can grow things. And then, you know, people in the comment section, oh, just plant a garden. I don't think people understand how difficult it is to actually feed yourself. Many years ago, I took a permaculture class in North Carolina, and this is a place called uh, Earth Haven, an eco village. Now, these are some of the smartest people that have move there to have a sustainable community. It had been quite established when I took my tour there. And even at that time, they were only creating about being able to have about 70% sustainability of their own food. And that's just in the summer, like not in the winter. So these are people that really know what they're doing. And they're established. So for people that are novices, um, it's not easy. And then what my, my idea with my nonprofit, what I want to do is really create more communities, because this is what I see. I just had a woman tell me, oh, um, there were some people here in Central Florida that have all these acres because they were in Hurricane Andrew in Florida when it happened in the 90s. They lost everything. They saw how the government didn't step up to help the people there. And they had no food, there was no food in the stores, no water. And they said, we're never going to let that happen to us again. So they bought all this acreage where they wanted to have this completely sustainable living. But see, that's the opposite extreme. So they want to just take care of themselves and their family. So then you've got people that couldn't you know, grow any of their own food than people who want to do everything, but we need to have community. We can't do it alone. And it's just, that's the one thing (laughs) about Americans. Sometimes they go in these opposite extreme directions when we need the community because everybody has different skills and we need um, people together to do this. We, everything needs to start being localized for food and we need to do it together neighborhoods and towns and cities because I think we've all realized we can't depend on our governments for things, um, and I think the controls are just going to get worse. There's all kinds of controls even happening. Uh, there's a guy in New York, or I'm sorry, Los Angeles, Ron, the Ron Finley project, and he was living, you know, in South Central LA, and decided to start a community garden, and he, they tried to shut him down, and he caused so much attention that he was finally able to have the community garden. Now he's got a whole movement and a whole project to helping these places here in America. They're called food deserts where, you know, either crime is bad and they, the grocery stores won't go into these areas and all they have is these young kids and just eating like junk food and convenience store food. So, yeah, we need to do things that, uh, go back to the local level for, um, for our food and and for many, many things, because uh, we're going to see these food shortages happening. And we're going to, um, like you said, it's, it's an alarm bell with uh,
0: what's happening to the food system. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And thank you for being such an inspiration by doing what you do for for all of our listeners. What, what would be your advice for for a listener who would be interested in in going a little bit further in becoming sovereign in terms of their food supply or at least starting to grow some, some produce at home?
1: Yeah, well, I've launched a few different Facebook groups for backyard gardening here in my area. And there's so many, this is why I love the community. It's so many people, like someone will take a picture of a, <laughs> an insect or a plant, oh, what is this? And you know, you get so many good uh, replies when, when you have help. So I think really gathering together with people and your your name you know your neighbors, that's what we need is to know our our neighbors and to to help each other. And there's so many good free classes. I've, I've learned a lot for free on the internet and even the University of Florida here has an extension program where I took a, 12 week um, class that was just on Zoom for backyard gardening. And that was really helpful to me. So there's so much free resources. You know, we don't, we can't say that the information isn't out there, or even that it's costly. I think it's just, you know, I think it's rearranging our priorities. And I know I had to rearrange mine, the life I was living before, that I just work, work, work all the time. And people say, well, I don't have time to do it. But that's why we have to get involved. You know, down in South Florida, I was part of the Boca Community Garden. And I was so sad. I went down there, I guess, in January. And I found out during the pandemic, they just abandoned these gardens. And then the city sold the garden to the Amtrak train people. Mm -hmm. And this was permaculture garden that had been growing for years, all these tropical fruit trees, and they gave back to the food bank there with the food. And it was all overgrown. And it was so sad to see that. So I think um, what I'm going to be doing with my nonprofit is really reaching out to have, you know, the schools and churches and communities and getting people together. Because, you know, people do work a lot, or they don't have time, but you have to get in your children involved as well. You know, I see my nieces who I love and they're teenagers. But they just want to be inside on their phones and doing things like that. And I think you got to get the kids out there. You got to get grandma and grandpa out there. You got to get
0: everybody to want to participate. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that is that is really the, the key here. And you mentioned community and collaboration many times. And I think as we are moving through these paradigm shifts that we are in globally from this patriarchal way of living towards a more feminine way, the sacred feminine, I I think we're going to see much more collaboration and co-creation as well.
1: Oh, yes. You know, oh, that's uh, that's the other thing I want to mention of what I thought was that the the pineapple peace garden, well, how I took the the name is um I was growing a patch of pineapples and I, I love pineapple in South Florida when I lived in Delray Beach. It was called Pineapple Grove because it used to be pineapple plantations until it went into tourism. And I love the symbol, you know, I visited Hawaii, the symbol of pi- the pineapple is welcome. And I have a little flag and it's got all the different colors. You know, everyone is welcome. It doesn't matter, you know, your your gender, your your race, your color, you know, it's, it's open for every, everybody. So to me, pineapple is such a all-inclusive welcoming symbol. And then peace. uh, There's a woman who's also my hero. She was a penniless pilgrim in America that walked across. She was the first woman in the 1950s to hike the Appalachian trail and her mission. She walked across America, I think like seven times as a a penniless pilgrim, no money, nothing. And let's, people. She said, I won't eat till someone feeds me. I won't sleep till someone gives me a bed. And she was, um, her mission was for, for peace, like nuclear, to get rid of nuclear weapons and for, for inner peace. And she had books about steps to inner peace. So I thought the garden, not just feeding you, but it also creates, it, it solves the um, problem of isolation and loneliness and a lot of people that don't feel like they have a purpose and people coming together um, outdoors. So you get nature, you get community, you don't have to feel isolated and you feel like you have a purpose. You know, my parents are in their eighties and um, my mom's not able physically, but my dad's been helping me and I've seen how he's had a lot of purpose with growing the vegetables and doing the work around the, um, the yard. And it's, it's so helpful in so many ways. So um, the inner peace and also the, you know, through nature, and then also the accomplishment that you feel to, um, you know, growing a lot of these organic foods yourself and the, the connection you have with nature
0: when you you eat them. Mm-hmm. I love that, Katie, that is so beautiful. You've given us so much information and so much food for thought, and I use the word "food" very intentionally here. Thank you so much for all the wisdom. Now I know you've got a gift for our listeners as well. Could you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Um, yes, I have a link, and what I decided to to um, put as a gift is something I found really fascinating. It's a it's a it's called the Doctrine of Signatures, and it shows the healing and how the different plants. That are shaped like different parts of the body and what they do for your body when you eat them. So these are things that you can grow, and also it's talking about what it um, what it does in terms of, um, like I'll give you an example of a doctor of signatures is like the walnut. If you look at the walnut, how it's the shape of the brain, mm-hmm. and. The- eat them, they've been showing now that walnuts help with cognitive function. So it's a little documented. It's fun. And, and printing I want to print it out because I want to, one of the things I'm going to do when I open up my, um, when I open up my uh, property f- for giving tours, I want to work with homeschool children and it's something that they can understand as well. So kids can, you can show this to kids and you can um, also have it as an idea of foods that you can be eating and how it's going to
0: help different parts of your body. Oh, that is awesome! Thank you so much for that, Katie. Appreciate that, and really appreciate you coming onto the podcast and sharing your wisdom and and uh, thoughts with us.
1: I appreciate you, and I I thank you and all your listeners and the inspired and enlightened uh, women that are moving forward to create these great changes that we're gonna we're gonna see. Not just the. The, th- the problems we see with the mainstream media, but the things we don't see with um, people behind the scenes that we're making changes to um, help our children's and our, our family and our friends and
0: our environment. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much, Katie. Appreciate that. Now everybody, just for a moment, let's let's focus our intention and our awareness on this positive inspiring energy that's been activated and imagine sending this energy to everybody everywhere on our planet so that we can truly remember that we are indeed all one and that the more of us have the courage to step into our sacred feminine power and start challenging the systems the paradigms that we have been programmed to live in the more quickly our planet will also shift and ascend. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being here.